Mark chapter 9, verse 14 to 29. Just a reminder as I read this to us, this is the word of God. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and, and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, he immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Verse 22, and there has been often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Peter, for reading the word. Um, I was going to share how we gathered as a growth group leaders, but Peter shared it. Um, it was so good. I don't know, at least for me, I feel like I realized this is what I've needed, right? It was so good for my soul. And I can't wait for us to gather in person and to sing together. Um, and hopefully, as Peter said, uh, it'll be very soon. Um, but until then, um, it'd be nice to see your faces. I feel like as the weeks go by, like one one video ends up being a gray box and so if you're if you're with us and you're able to turn your video on it'd be nice just to see your faces i feel like that helps us feel like a community um but let me pray for us and then we'll uh jump into today's word and so let me pray would you pray with me oh god we come before you um, just as we are we want to be honest before you uh, we sit at your feet and we ask that you would speak to us through your word Holy Spirit, uh, be with us, uh, make your word come alive to us and pierce to our very soul, into the, ver the deepest parts of who we are. Uh, we come before you not just to uh, you know, escape from the world or escape our problems, but you know, really to come with our problems to you and ask that you would help us you know, with all the burdens and the anxieties and the stresses that we carry, our life's biggest problems, would you speak into them? today i pray transform us and change the way that we live because we know you in jesus name we pray amen um the other week uh, i went to pick up reuben uh, from daycare and you know his eyes were a little red they felt a little looked a little puffy and i found out that he had been crying a bit 
and you know, kind of probed him, asked some questions, and I found out that some of the kids had been playing rough with him. Right? One of his good friends said to his other good friend, "You know, let's not play with Ruben." Right. You know, and, you know, those two uh, with another kid that they don't normally play with, like he was saying they were trying to steal his hat. And I was like, what are they doing with the hat? He's like, they were trying to put sticks in it. And, you know, he'd come down the slide. And as soon as he popped out of the slide, slide they're trying to take his hat and they're kind of, you know, jumping on him and hitting him, he said. Um, he said one kid would come and like punch him and you know, this is play, this is play fighting, right? And you know, during one of the scuffles, uh, Ruben was trying to get away and I think he slipped and he hit his mouth on the slide and at the bottom of his lip, like inside, he had like a, a little cut on the bottom of his lip, right? And so this is what I'm confronted with is I pick up Ruben from daycare. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, this is okay, right? If you're a parent, this is kind of what happens, right? Normal kid stuff, kids. You know, play rough they don't really understand what's right what's wrong um you know it, the teacher is called in the kids get reprimanded they say sorry and the next day they're all playing together right it's all good right it's okay but on the other hand as a parent it's not okay right? this is huge right when it's your child uh, everything matters Right, everything is much more dramatic than it should be. Right, if my kid cries, all the other kids, you need to better watch yourself. You know, you're in trouble. You know, I feel like that's what it's like as a parent. Right, when your kid is sad, uh, it's a big deal. When they cry, when they're being bullied, when they're hurt, or you know, even when they're sick. Right, all of that, you know, matters so much. There's this kind of innate desire in a parent to protect and help your kid, um, and you want to help them. And when when they're in a bad situation, uh, it's a huge deal to you. And so when we come to this passage today, I can't imagine what it must have felt like for the father we uh, confronted with today. You know, we're met with a father whose son is possessed by an evil demonic spirit, right? He's not being bullied on the, on the, on the playground a little bit. I mean, he's possessed by an evil spirit. And in verse 21 to 22, uh, it's been, he says, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Now just imagine as a parent, um, ever since your child is young, they've been possessed by this evil spirit and this spirit is trying to kill your child, throwing them into the most dangerous things, fire and water. The, the burden a parent like this must carry um, as they watch their child, feeling so helpless, wanting to help them, but not knowing what you can do. Right? You're worried, confused, you're saddened. You're wishing there was a fix. And this father has watched his son in the state for, you know, we don't know how many years, maybe a decade. And we find him today uh, seeking help, right? In his desperation for help, he turns to Jesus and he asks Jesus uh, to help him with the situation. And as he seeks Jesus for help, uh, we see three things uh, that we can learn, right? Three ways we must trust God when we seek him for help, right? Three ways we must trust God when we seek him for help. And, you know, I don't know what situation you're going through. I don't know what burdens you carry today, right? It doesn't have to be that you're a parent and it's a child problem. It could, it could be finances. You might be going through relational problems, work issues, relationships at work issues, right? Health, maybe it's faith, maybe it's church. But as you seek the help of God, right, these are three areas you must trust God in as well. Right? And so we're going to go through these three things and hopefully it will help you as you come to God and seek his help. And so the first thing, and I've got two points. So the first one has two of the three, right? The first is we must trust that God cares and God can. I right? trust God cares 
and God can. And you might have heard me say this, you know, along the way, um, you know, here and there. Now, let me summarize where we've been and where we're at. Uh, last week, we saw Jesus take up three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a mountain, right? He started glowing, and then Moses and Elijah appeared, and then Peter says, tabernacle, and a great cloud swallows them up, and the voice of God speaks, right? It's just like an overwhelming thing, but then just as it happens, it all disappears, and Jesus alone remains, right? And Jesus really is made the centerpiece um, and revealed uh, for a moment as, you know, the great glorious God that he is. So they come down from the mountain in today's passage uh, to be confronted with the disciples arguing with the scribes in verse 14 to 16. And the reason why we find out is that there, there's a father with his boy who has an evil spirit, uh, but the disciples aren't able to cast the evil spirit out. Right. So the disciples are like, you know, well, we got it. They try. They can't do it. And for some reason, it breaks out into an argument and Jesus steps in. Right? And then verse 20, this is where we're at. Let me, let's read verse 20. It says, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, this is they saw Jesus, he saw Jesus. Immediately, the spirit convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's what the father says right at the end. In his state of desperation, as he pleads to Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, I don't know if the father has thought this out well in his mind. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he identifies the first two things here, that we need to trust in God as we approach him for help, that he can and that he cares. What does he say? If you can do anything, there's the if you can, have compassion on us, that's the care, and help us but we want God to help us that's that's the result right in order for that to happen he needs to care right he needs to be he needs to be able to do something right he can he cares right he can he cares it's something I've spoken about I said before but we need a God who both can and who cares he needs to be able right he can fix the problem he can do something about it powerful enough authoritative enough to be able to you know step into your situation and change it he has to be able to do something but not only that he has to care enough to want to do something to have compassion over your situation and the problems that you're going through that he will you know in his power do something about it now if you have someone who only has one of these two things it won't help you that person cannot ultimately help you in your situation but if someone only cares but can't, they can't help you. Right? That's like a friend who cares for you and they'll listen to you and they'll nod their heads and have empathy for you, but they don't have the power, right? They can't. They don't have the resources to do anything. And so all they'll do is listen, maybe put a reassuring hand on you, but that'll be about it. And I'm not saying that's not you know, good. I mean, that's very helpful at times, but ultimately they can't solve the situation for you, right? At the same time, if someone can, but they don't care, right? They have the authority and power to do something, but they just don't care about your situation. Well, it won't matter you, you coming before them because they'll be like, that's nice, but you know, good luck. I'm not going to waste my energy or time on you. And so when we come before God, he can and he cares. And that matters. And what we see in Jesus, right? Because Jesus is God personified. We see a birth person who both cares and can. 
Uh, we have proof that Jesus can, that he has authority. We've seen it throughout the Gospel of Mark in his life. His life is filled with his authority over evil, right? casting out evil spirits. He has authority over sickness, over hard hearts. Right? He walks on the water. He calms the waves. He makes bread appear out of nowhere. Right? We see that he can. We see it in his life, but we see that he can in his death. In his death, we see that he has power over death and sin, and he rises from the dead. But we also have proof that he cares. We see that he cares in his life. But when you see Jesus, God, right, born into a broken humanity, right, when you think that of his birth, we see that he cares enough to come into our world. When we see his life, we say that he cares for the broken, for the outcast, for the rejected. We not only see that in his life, but we see that in his death. In his death, when he goes to the cross and he dies for the sake of this humanity, right? he didn't just live with humanity, he died for humanity, we see that he cares. Right? So in Jesus, we see a God who can, he has authority. We see a God who cares, right? That's the very reason why he came, he lived, he died. Right? So our God is a God who cares and can. But you got to go a step further than that. It's one thing for God to be that. But do you believe that? Or do you believe God cares for you? Or do you believe that God can help you with that problem in your life? You see, the man comes to Jesus in verse 22 and he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And the response Jesus gives in verse 23 is Jesus said to him, if you can, and this is kind of like, what do you mean I can? Of course I can. But objectively, of course, Jesus can. But what Jesus doesn't do is say, well, since I objectively can and I objectively care as a, as a person, I'm going to do this. That's not what he does. He says, all things are possible for one who believes. And what he's doing here is he's putting it back on the man, on the father. And he's saying, I can, but do you believe? Right? Because you need to believe this. Do you believe that I can? Or do you believe that I care right this is this is where it is right it matters whether you in your faith and your relationship with jesus and god believe that he cares and he can but if you don't believe that god cares or can two things will happen right, number one we won't ask for help and number two god won't give his help right, number one we won't ask for help the first reason why it matters that you yourself believe and trust that God cares and can is if you don't believe he cares, if you don't believe he can, either of these, you probably won't go to him and ask for help. You won't turn to him when you're desperate. In those moments when you really need help, at the back of your mind, if you don't believe that he's a God who cares about your situation right now, or if you don't believe that he can actually do something about it, you won't turn to him. I mean, it makes sense that you wouldn't because he can't help you in the end. Right? Do you believe that he cares? He cares for your feelings. The pain you're feeling, does God empathize with that? The weight that you're carrying, right? the sorrow in your soul. When you cry out to him, do you believe that you will find a greater compassion from God than you would from your spouse, than you would from your closest friend? I feel like sometimes we, we turn to our friends because we think that they care more about our feelings than God does. 
Now, maybe you don't pray and go to God in your struggles because deep down, you actually don't believe he cares. I mean, we believe God cares as a concept, but to you, in your moment, right now in your issue, do you believe he cares about it? Right? Do you believe that he can? In the deepest parts of your faith, do you genuinely believe that God can take that problem and do something about it? That if you pray to him, not only does he care enough to listen, right, but he will do something, right? whatever that is, but he will do something in response. Or do you deep down actually kind of really believe that this problem is, is, is beyond the grasp of God? Right? This is the way it is. And so I've got to fix it myself. And so a lot of times we just end up trying to fix it without praying about it. Or we accept it in like a defeatist mentality. But if we don't believe that he cares and can, we won't seek him. Right, that's the first thing, we won't seek him. You know, Uni and I, uh, we really wanted Ruben to get into this particular public school. He's going to school next year. I can't believe the kids grow up so fast. Um, it's a school that um, Michael goes to, our cousin. And it's so much easier, you know, easier for drop-offs because it's just close. Um, his friends are going there. We used to be in the catchment, but they changed the catchments, right? And they were sending us to this school that's kind of further away. I think one of um, our brothers here at Kingsway went, goes there, went there. And so I'm sure it's a great school, but we didn't want to go there. We wanted to go to this other school. Um, and so we applied and they said no. And then we applied with a special consideration. We fill out this form. We were, I wrote a cover letter and everything. And we sent it in. And then it gets sent to this group that, you know, looked through all the special considerations. And they got back to us and they said no. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, we really want this. And, you know, at that point, like, I was kind of like, oh, you know what? It's probably just the way it is. But we kept trying. Right? I emailed a few more times. Uni called a few more times. And this and that happened. And eventually, like, we did a few more things. And we eventually were able to send Ruben in, right? So he got in, right? And when we heard the news, we were so happy and we're so ecstatic, like we're so relieved because we'd been stressed about this um, at the back of our minds for a while. But as soon as I heard that uh, Ruben got in, like one of my first thoughts that came to my mind was, I did not pray about this, right? If I was just honest, I didn't pray. And as I thought about why I didn't pray, it was these two things. I think deep down, I didn't think God really cared. Like, it's such a small thing, right? I'm thinking, like, God's got bigger problems, and he does. But it mattered enough to me that it was stressing me out. And if it matters to me, then to a degree, it matters to God, right? It's worth coming before God to pray about. And whether for good or bad reasons, it matters to me. And so I need to come before God with it. And I think really, I didn't believe God could really do anything. I mean, they already said no. What can God do? God can do stuff. But I think in my mind, I was like, I just accepted it. And in a weird way, we still pursued it. But I was just like, it's not going to happen. I didn't really believe God cared. I didn't believe God could. And so I didn't pray. And maybe in your situation, it's similar. Maybe you don't believe God cares or can. And so you don't go to him and ask for help. Right? If we don't believe he cares or can, we won't ask for his help, but also God won't give us his help. If we don't believe God cares or can, God most likely, right? I'm not going to say God won't ever, God can do what he wants, but most likely he won't help you. Jesus says to the man, all things are possible for the one who believes. 
He's saying your faith and what you believe matters. Faith is what makes God's help possible to us, to us a lot of the times. Now I want to spend the whole second point navigating the nuance of this and faith and how it relates with God helping us. But faith is what makes God's help possible. Right? If we don't believe, most likely God will not help. You know, God longs for his children to turn to him in trust, to believe that he is able and that he is good, especially in difficult times. And if we are, if we're going to not believe him, that wouldn't help us grow in that faith if God would just answer our prayers, right? Imagine a person who doesn't believe God, they doubt his care and that doubt his power. If God just keeps helping them, that person's not going to grow in their faith. That person would just think, well, my life is good, even though I don't turn to God. What point is there in trusting God? And so God waits in his loving kindness. He waits for us to turn to him before he answers, because then our faith is strengthened. Our trust in him grows. And that's what God wants. He wants us to trust in him. And so maybe in your situation, You're not praying because you don't believe God cares or can. And because you're not praying, God isn't actually helping. And that is loving because God wants you to draw to him. He wants your faith to rise above the situation and believe in a God beyond what you see with your eyes and the struggles that you face every day. And so God cares, God can. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your problems today? in your biggest problem that you can think of, maybe you thought of something, you know, as I was talking about a bunch of stuff, what weighs on your heart right now? Do you believe that God cares about it and he can do something about it? But if you could ask God for one thing right now, what would it be? Are you praying about it? And if not, is it because you doubt either of these two things? If we don't trust he cares and can, we won't ask for his help, and God probably won't give us help. Now, if you do believe this, that's awesome. Keep pushing into the presence of God. Keep surrendering whatever you're going through to him, your bad and your good, your struggles and your joys, and ask that God will strengthen your faith and trust in his character and his ability. But if you're not going to him, maybe it's these two things. And you know what? To be honest, you probably don't know right now if that's really the problem. You'll need to sit down and give yourself like 15 minutes and really like look deep into your soul and ask, why is it that I'm not praying, right? And I think if you give yourself enough time, you might figure out it's one of these two things. But that's the first two things. God cares, God can. We need to trust God cares and God can. The third thing is this. This is the second point. We trust God's will. We need to trust God's will. Now, in this second point, this is my second and last point. I'm just going to clarify a misunderstanding Christians can fall into about how faith and God's help works. And the misunderstanding we can fall into is like when we read verse 23, this is what Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. The misunderstanding, the wrong interpretation is this. If I believe with enough certainty and without doubt, God will always do what I ask. And I'm saying that's wrong. Right. If I believe with enough certainty and without doubt, God will always do what I ask. And that's not the way this dynamic is working. And when we think that way and prayers not being answered, we often think, well, that's because of my lack of faith. 
And I just need to believe more. And if I just believed more, then God would answer. And, and that's not what's happening, right? So I said God cares and God can. And what we sometimes think is therefore God will. And that's wrong, right? That third point is wrong. Now, I used to believe this as a new Christian. I used to believe as a new Christian, the only barrier between me and my unanswered prayer was my faith. That as long as I believed enough, whatever I asked God for, it will happen. And I'd hear things like, doesn't God want you to be happy? I'm like, yes. Doesn't he want to give you the best that he has? I'm like, yes. Doesn't he own everything? I'm like, yes, of course he owns everything. So God wants to make you happy and give you all that he has. And the only reason you don't have that is because of your faith. And that seemed to make sense to me. The reason you don't have that permission is because you don't believe enough. The reason you don't have that financial breakthrough or the miraculous opportunity is not because of God, because God wants to give you the best that he has. No, it's because of you and your lack of faith. And I've got these vivid memories. I'd be in my room asking God for some crazy things. And I think praying for crazy things is fine. But I'd be asking God for some crazy things, looking inside of me. And I'm like, believe, <laughs> believe. And I'm trying to like, G myself up into a frenzy. I'm like, I rebuke unbelief. You know, I'm completely with no uncertainty. 100%, I believe God, you can do it. I believe you've already done it. Right? You've already done it. Right? And I'd be, amen. I'd be like, did God do it? I'm like, oh, that's doubt. Right, I'm going to pray again. Right, and I, like Just really trying to believe, thinking that if I got to a place where I had absolute certainty, God would answer my prayer. And, you know, if this sounds weird to you, uh, it's not that weird. Right? You go to a lot of churches right now, and this is exactly what they would tell you. But I'll, I want to point out two things about from this passage uh, that show us that this is not the dynamic of how prayer works. Right, number one, we see an imperfect faith answered. Right, we see an imperfect faith answered. In verse 23 to 24, Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. In verse 24, the father replies, immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's a paradox. What's this father saying? Um, I think this is such an honest uh, confession of what Christians feel most of the time, if we're honest. Most of the time, we're the father. And we're like, God, I believe you care, but, you know, I, I have some unbelief, if I'm honest. But I believe you can, but there's still a lingering doubt. I believe, help my unbelief. Now, if prayer being answered was hinged on the quality of the father's faith and his lack of doubt, then this man has failed. He has unbelief. Jesus should tell the man, oh, you have unbelief? We'll go back to your room and make sure there's absolutely no doubt and 100% certainty that I'll answer and then come back to me and I'll answer your prayer. But that's not what happens. But in verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The quality of the man's faith is not the final determining factor on whether his prayer is answered or not. Now, faith is important, but it's not the quality of the faith that made the difference in the end. In the end, it was just that Jesus chose to answer it. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom and his goodness, chose to answer the man's prayer, and he did. Who or what decides whether your prayer is answered? 
If you say it's the quality of your faith, if my faith is 100%, therefore my prayer will be answered all the time, then what you're saying is that your faith really has authority over God. Your faith is calling the shots. Your faith is really forcing God to do what you want. Right? My faith is the one that, that makes the, the difference in the end. And practically at that point, we've become God and God has become our servant. Right? Because it's my faith that is determining things. It's not. I come before God in faith and then he does what he wants to do. Right? That's the way that this works. God's sovereign choice is a determining factor in the end. Like in this story, God chose to answer the prayers of imperfect faith. Sometimes God will choose not to answer the prayers of people with much stronger faith. Sometimes we'll come to God truly believing in his ability and his care for us, and he won't answer it the way we want. It's his choice. So the question for us is not whether our faith is perfect enough to make God answer our prayers. The question is, do we have enough faith to seek him in the first place? But this man didn't have perfect faith, but his, fa his faith drove him to Christ. His imperfect faith drove him to surrender and seek his help. Right? That's what matters in the end, that we come to God in the fusion and the, the, the belief and doubt that we have, but still say, God, I'm still here. Right? In the midst of my doubt, believing that you are able, but I still doubt it some, sometimes. I believe that you care enough for me to pray to you, even though sometimes I doubt that. And I'm asking you to help. Right? And we give it to him. Right? That's how it works. And that sounds maybe like not impressive, faith but the reality is a lot of times again we don't pray and we don't pray because we don't really believe not only do we see imperfect faith answered but we see perfect faith unanswered and i would say maybe not perfect faith confident faith unanswered you know at the end of the story uh, jesus casts out the evil spirit and they go to a private room uh, or they go to they're in private and the first thing the disciples ask jesus is verse 28 they ask, why could we not cast it out? So the first thing that they ask, it's, it's on their minds, right? When they can't cast out the demon, it's on their minds. Jesus comes, he casts out the evil spirit. And as soon as they get to private with Jesus, they ask, why could we not cast it out? Right? They're confused because they're so confident that they could have done it. And they're confident because they've done this so many times. But right? if you remember back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples in pairs. And it says, they cast out many demons. Now, the many demons here doesn't mean some demons, but not others. They mean many demons, as in lots and lots and lots of them. The number of demons they cast out were heaps. So the disciples have done this before. They've cast out heaps of demons, but they can't cast this one out. Why? It's not a lack of faith. They know that they can do it. They're absolutely certain it will happen. And that's why they're so confused when it doesn't. That's why it's the first thing that they ask Jesus. And the answer Jesus gives them in verse 29 is this. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Right? Why prayer? And what does this mean? The disciples were confident that they could do it. They've done it before, but they're confident because they've done it before, right? They're confident in themselves. 
They've cast out so many evil spirits. And when the father brings a child, it's like, oh, we got this. 100% certain. I've done it before. I know I can do it. I'm going to do it. If the father had imperfect faith that's placed on Jesus, the disciples are the opposite. They have a perfect faith, in a sense, that's placed on themselves. Right? So the father has imperfect faith, but a faith enough that he'll go to Jesus and trust him. The disciples have a perfect faith, but it's not placed on Jesus, it's on themselves, which is why Jesus says you need to pray. Right? Pray is us coming to God and saying, I need you, right? help me. And so it's not about the quality of your faith. It's about the object of your faith that determines whether your prayers are answered or not. Right? It's us coming to God as the object of our faith, and he will determine whether our prayers are answered or not. Right? It's not the, the, the perfection or how little doubt you have that will make the difference in the end. Right? I've given this analogy before, but if you're going to step on ice, it's not your faith in the ice's thickness that keeps you afloat. It's the ice. Right? But the question is, will you have enough faith to step onto the ice to stand on it? But it's the ice, the object that will keep you afloat, right? The object that we're putting our faith into is God. Will you have enough faith to turn to him? Not perfect faith, not a doubtless faith, but a faith that will go to him. And then he, the object of our faith, will determine whether he will answer it or not. He will choose it. Now, I want you to imagine me in my room, stirring myself into a frenzy. You know, when we say, as long as I believe enough, my prayer will be answered. In a sense, we're doing what the disciples are doing in this passage. We're looking inside of ourselves, trying to generate something in ourselves and trusting in our own faith to make it happen. Right? In a weird way, it's my faith that is doing the work. Right? My faith is a determining factor. Like the disciples are saying, it's me. And the result is a Christian then who focuses more on themselves because it's up to my faith rather than focusing on God. And we steal the glory of God. Right in my room, I'm looking inside of me. I'm stirring myself into a frenzy. I'm making it about me and my faith. And to be honest, my eyes aren't really on God. It's on me. It's on my faith and my ability to believe. And when my prayers would get answered, I'd be like, wow, look at what my faith has done. Right, look at what my perfect faith has done because I believed enough and it happened. Right, but at that point, we're making it about ourselves. It's not look at what my perfect faith has done. It should be look at what my perfect God has done with my imperfect faith. Right? And that then brings glory to God. And so we come to God and we focus on him, not us. We depend on his ability, not my ability to generate faith. We bring glory to him because of his grace, not because of my faith. And all of that gives him glory in the end. And so this is where we're at. God cares. God can. And so he might. And he might not. And this seems like a bit of a cop-out. But I want you to take you to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is really cool. This is really cool. If you look at what Jesus says, this is Jesus right at the, uh, the edge of being crucified. He's going to go to the cross. And he's going to bear the greatest agony that anyone in all of humanity has ever carried. Physical agony, because, you know, being crucified was the worst way, the most painful way to die. But not only physical agony, but spiritual agony. 
because on the cross, Jesus will bear the sins of all of God's elect on himself. He will carry the weight of our sin and he will receive the father's judgment and wrath for that sin. And he's going to face that. And so in the garden, he's praying. This is what he prays. Verse 36, he says, Abba, Father. He calls God Father, which at that time was not, you know, it was kind of controversial. But here's the care here. Father, right? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Right? Dad, Daddy, Father. Here's the care. All things are possible for you. Here's the can. Remove this cup from me. Here's the request, right? We care, we can. We ask God for help. Remove this cup from me. But then listen to what he says after that. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. What is Jesus saying here? He doesn't say, I trust God cares. I trust God can. I trust God will. That's not what he says. He says, I trust God cares. I trust God can. I trust God's will. Do you get that? Do you see that word play? Not I trust God will. I trust God's will, right? Your will be done. That's where we want to end up as a Christian. You see, I believe you care about my situation and I believe you can do something about it. But I also believe in your infinite wisdom that may or may not do what I ask. And I trust that whatever your decision, whatever your will is, that it is good, that it is purposeful and that it will bring you glory. And in the end, that's what I want. In the end, I don't want what I want. I want what you want more. I trust your will. That's where we really need to end up as Christians. I believe the greater faith is not the faith that says, I trust you will answer my prayer the way that I want you to. You know, that takes, you know, strong faith to say, to be in that place in your room, 100% certain God's going to answer my prayer. It's done. You know, I trust you will answer my prayer the way I want you to. But the greater faith, I think, is I trust you even when you don't answer my prayer the way I want you to. Right? That is greater faith. I'll trust you even when you say no. I trust you can and you care, but I'll still trust you when you don't do it. Now, that's greater faith. You know, when you really believe properly, that takes more trust. And it's not a cop-out. Because not only are you believing God really empathizes with that thing that brings you pain right now, not only are you believing he could step in at any moment and take it all away, but you're believing in his wisdom. That's different from what I choose to do. You're trusting in his goodness, right? even though the path is difficult. You're trusting in his plan, no matter what it looks like. You're trusting in his purposes, even though you can't see it right now. That is the greater faith. And that is what it is to trust God. You trust he cares, he can, and you trust his will. If we believe, God will. Right? God's going to answer my prayer as long as I believe. Then you will inevitably be confused and hurt when your prayers aren't answered. Because you'll be in your room. You'll be praying, God, do this, do this. As long as I believe, you're going to make it happen. But it doesn't happen. And you'll jump to one of two wrong conclusions. You'll say something's wrong with me, or you'll say something's wrong with God. 
or you say something's wrong with me because it must be me it must be my lack of faith it must be my doubt must be something inside and you'll look inward and you'll uh, blame yourself and you'll try harder and you'll condemn yourself unfairly because you misunderstood the way it's meant to work it might just be that god doesn't want to answer your prayer that way you just didn't understand that that was a possibility or you'll say maybe something's wrong with god because i did believe I really 100% with absolute certainty believed that God would answer my prayer the way that I wanted to, and then he doesn't. And that's a really difficult, confusing place to be in. And the disappointment at that place can be so severe that you might abandon God, right? And people do, because they thought as long as I believed, God would do it. And they really believed, and then it didn't happen, and they're crushed. And they're confused. And they blame God and they turn away. But it wasn't because God was unloving. And it wasn't because you lacked faith. It was just because God had a different, better plan. And you needed to trust in God's will, right? In what God chose to do. And so there's a question Do you believe God cares? Do you believe God can? And do you believe? God's will, right? Not God will, but in God's sovereign, perfect will to choose the right thing, even though it might not make sense to us. If you don't believe in the first two, God cares and God can, you won't ask for his help and he may not give you his help. And if you don't believe in the third one, if you don't believe in God's will, you will probably end up really confused and hurt along the way because you, you didn't trust in his plan in the end. Now, I often find that people who say they trust God's will you know, don't pray because really the truth is they just say it as an excuse, like, oh, yeah, God's in control, but I don't pray because they don't really believe God cares and God can, right? like me with Reuben's school, right? I trust God's will, but I didn't pray. I didn't, I didn't believe God's care and God could. On the flip side, I feel like people who tend to believe God can and cares, and they do pray a lot, um, often struggle with God's will because we're praying so much, so desperately with faith, uh, but we're, we're let down when the result isn't our way. And the Christian life is really a tension of these, of these things and not letting go of any part of these three elements, right? to have them in good harmony. And our ability to be able to balance these and hold all these three things together at the same time um, is, is, I think, a, a reflection of our maturity as Christians when we come to God in help, right? God can, God cares, God's will, right? Do we trust in these three things?